Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Okay, everybody, we are back, ready to rock and roll here. Lots of stuff to get to. I have a bunch of current event-related things that I want to describe, plenty of stories to tell as well. Uh, Lots of education things happening right now, too. Same thing with the bioweapons and lots of stories to tell regarding that also. Here's where I want to start. I found this rather odd. Uh, And, well, I would say typical, I suppose. Oddly typical. That uh, the movie, The Sound of Freedom, has received a lot of views, of course, and a lot of reaction, and people recording people's reactions, and people recording their own reactions to the movie. Uh, You know, the other day, some family members and myself went to see it, and I suggested it just as, as something to do. And I, you know, I got to tell you that it didn't surprise me. Of course, what's in the movie? None of it is really overwhelming. Yes, it's uh, it is what it is. But it's not. It's not the first movie to come out about child trafficking. And I'm going to make some comments and some observations, not just about the movie, but about Tim Ballard himself, because there's a lot of discussion going on right now about who he really is, what he's really done. And a number of other things, and I think it's just good food for thought and certainly something that people need to ask themselves because, again, as you've heard me say, when everybody's thinking alike, someone's not thinking. And, uh, you know, I fully understand that there are criticisms of, of the movie from the left because they don't want people to think that child trafficking is a real thing when clearly it is. And at the exact same time, there's this massive push on the right for everybody to go see the movie, which means what's really going on in the middle? Something else is happening here, I think, that's, that's interesting and, and certainly worth bringing up. And one of the individuals who brought some of this to my attention is Josiah Richwine, and, and he sent me a couple of Twitter threads regarding Tim Ballard and and the Sound of Freedom movie movie uh, and ironically enough it was on the exact same day when I went and saw the film but um th- the point that I want to make is is this Tim Ballard was a CIA agent for a very long time and he was a CIA agent during Bush and Obama and then overtook or undertook this particular operation during the Trump years Now, with all of that said, it begs the question, and this was one of the questions in in one of these Twitter threads regarding Tim Ballard, and again, I don't know who, who put this Twitter thread together, but they were asking some interesting questions, and they basically said, why is Tim Ballard still alive? Given all of the individuals that have been associated with child trafficking who have been killed, and then those who have been protected by the Clintons, why is it that Tim Ballard has been given a free pass, so to speak? Because if you recall, there's this woman by the name of Laura Silsby, if I'm not messing her name up too badly, but she was the individual who was imprisoned by the Haiti government, Haitian government, for being caught trafficking children for the Clintons. And then the Clintons got her out of jail, and then Presto Changeo, just like that, she ended up becoming the head of the Amber Alert system in the United States. So I think I've got all of that right. Uh, and, and that's, and again, that's odd. But she was given a free pass 
for essentially, again, claiming that she was helping children when, in fact, it's pretty clear that she was trafficking them. The question that was being asked in this thread is, is again, why is it that Tim Ballard is alive and hasn't been Arkansas? Why is it that he hasn't been knocked off by the Clintons regarding the, the child trafficking? And, and again, why is it that he was so embedded in the CIA during the Obama years and then went out and did this? And again, no one's tried to go after him or his family in any way. Again, I, I'm not doubting that he might have protection, but I just find a lot of it interesting. And again, I, I also know that in many of these talks, of course, that have been going on regarding the movie, it's Jim Caviezel who's out there spreading the message of the movie. That it, it's it's not that Tim Ballard hasn't given interviews; he certainly has, but uh, it's been mainly Jim Caviezel for quite some time now. The last whatever whatever it's been, I mean, last few months, something along those lines, last couple of months. Either way. Uh, I, fi- I find it. I find I find this interesting. I think something else is going on here. And again, I would I would point people to this particular interview also. And I and I've watched a few parts of it, not the whole thing, but I do find it a bit strange. Is that Tim Ballard and Jim Caviezel were interviewed by Jordan Peterson the other day, and of course Jordan Peterson works for the Daily Wire and the Daily Wire produced it and pushed it out and there's that within the first 7 to 8 minutes of of the discussion it's peterson asking and well asking and discussing i should say questions with tim ballard about some criticisms coming his way about this that and the other and he actually asks him about his thoughts regarding qAnon And he, of course, Jordan Peterson says QAnon, and then he says, well, I don't even know what that is. So he's lying because he has to live under a rock to not know what that is. And then Tim, uh, and as we all know, I should say, there is no QAnon. We, We know this. There is Q, and then there are Anons, but there's no QAnon. So when anybody's talking about it, they sound foolish when they're saying QAnon. And, uh, and what Tim Ballard says is, is rather, I would say, uh, suspicious. So I want to play just a quick piece of audio from that interview and him describing it because he discredits it and disavows it, as he says, that we are not associated with, with QAnon. Again, there is no QAnon. Um, but that he, he disagrees with much of what came out in those drops, although agrees with some, but certainly not most, and whatever else. And you can hear him just kind of bouncing around. But I want to play that brief audio just very quickly so you can hear it from his own voice. So here's what he said. I'm going to harass you a bit here um, from the Wikipedia page. Um, There is some, not that I'm a particular fan of Wikipedia pages, uh, depending on the circumstances, but there are some criticisms of what you're doing, and I thought we might as well um, address them right off the bat, bat, because people who are watching are going to be, look, man, if I was coming across this for the first time, and in some ways I am, I've got two choices in front of me, don't I? I can either presume that you've discovered something that's ongoing and of tremendous significance that's terribly dark, or I can assume that the difficult work that you had done for a decade um, genuinely addressing these problems 
has made you hypersensitive to a threat and willing to magnify it. And it would be easier just to ignore you as a consequence. Now, that would be the preferable um, outcome to such an investigation, wouldn't it? So you can, as, as you said, you can understand why people might want to avert their eyes from such a thing. So I'm going to walk through these criticisms and maybe you could, you know, you can respond to them and we can get that out of the way before we go deeper into the film and, and your, your, uh, and your, your, uh, your operations. So, so your group, and this is Operation Underground Railroad, and tell me if I get anything wrong here, says it devours conspiracy theories, though founder Tom Ballard was criticized for refusing to condemn the QAnon conspiracy theory. Um, I have no idea what the hell that means. Do you know what that's referring to? Yeah, absolutely. We um, that's 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 a lie on Wikipedia. We have absolutely in our FAQs for years have have condemned the majority of of what we see um, with conspiracy theories. Uh, so I, I, they like to attribute me to the QAnon movement. Um, there may be some truths in there, but there's so many falsehoods on top of that. So our, our FAQs refute that immediately um, because it, it can it, it discredits the movement. In fact, I would go so far as to consider that maybe certain people who don't want this known are responsible for some of the conspiracy theories in order to discredit the movement. Um, and uh, they go too far. They go too far in, in, in their assessment of things. But yeah, we absolutely have dis disavowed uh, what is generally coming out of, of, of QAnon. Yeah, well, it says, you know, it's very vague on Wikipedia. It says to condemn the QAnon conspiracy theory. Well, I know perfectly well that there are more than one conspiracy theories, let's say, on QAnon, so I'm not even exactly sure what it's referring to. What is there a particular conspiracy theory that um, you were criticized for refusing to condemn? Do you, do, do you have any more specific details about that? I mean, I, I'm not sure what exactly they're, they're talking about. Probably they might be uh, referring to the fact that there's something called adrenochrome where they, you know, they, they take... They're taking children's blood and devouring it and so forth. Uh, and I've explained my experience with that, and, and I just did in West Africa and other places. Um, we've seen this in, in several parts of the continent of Africa. And it's very real. It's very real, this witch doctory. They take these children. We, they, they, they take their organs. They take their blood. They, 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 they drink it. They take the genitalia of children and, and hang it over the rooftop of their businesses, thinking that the, the dark gods will bless them. These are real things. Um, and so I might say something like that, and then they connect it to something uh, that a QAnon person says about, you know, a celebrity who must be doing this too, but there's no evidence to back that. And they make, they make a, a false connection there. Um, and, and so that's, that's the only example I can think of. I have a lot of questions with this. Again, I understand this might not be a popular a popular take. I I don't you know I don't know the man. I I uh, <laughs> I, I don't know him. I don't know everything that he's done. I haven't walked side by side with him to see everything that he's done throughout the course of his life. I just know that there's a lot going on here. There's something else going on here. I fully understand. Again, that they had trouble apparently getting the movie produced and this other movie studio based out of Utah, Angel Studios as it's called, is now um, you know, pushing out a, a number of different movies and they're promoting themselves. And again, Jim Caviezel's doing the exact same thing. I just don't understand 
why it's so hard for people to discuss Q and then separate those posts from anonymous individuals who ask questions and do investigations on their own. And then when somebody's asked about it, they, they get nervous or they start to, uh, you know, sort of sling mud and basically say, well, it's just a bunch of people making false accusations about celebrities with absolutely no proof and whatever else. I mean, there's plenty of proof. So again, if you if you don't know anything about it, then don't speak about it. But if you know something about it, then speak the entire truth about what you know about it. I I don't I don't understand the hesitation and the uh, you know covering your backside kind of thing to try to make it sound like you're more credible than than maybe you actually are. I, I want to focus in on this too, and it was it's the constant use of the word stories. You know, at the end of the movie, when the credits are rolling, in the lower right-hand screen, it says special message in two minutes. And the, you see the clock running down, and then it's Jim Caviezel. And again, he's, he's an actor, and he's acting. And again, I'm not saying that it wasn't an educational movie. It certainly was. But Jim Caviezel throws the word stories around a lot, in particular in that message. We have to get these stories out there. We have to tell people about these stories and he's very dramatic when he's when he's saying all of this i would simply say ladies and gentlemen sound of freedom is not the first movie that's been made about child trafficking and child slavery there are endless movies about this endless movies i'm i'm going to ruin one for you it's an exquisite movie i highly recommend it you'll you're familiar with the main character uh it's rambo 5 it's the fifth Rambo movie. That's a, that's a good movie. Yes, it's heartbreaking, and it's about child trafficking, and his niece gets, uh, gets kidnapped and you know meets up with a friend in, in whatever it is, Tijuana or someplace, and then before you know it, she's being, uh, she's being drugged by a friend of a friend, and they go to a dance party and whatever else, and she gets drugged, and then she's thrown into... Uh, sex trafficking, and she's being drugged and, and being raped and assaulted and the whole thing. Then John Rambo shows up, finds her, starts to drive her back, and she ends up dying of a drug overdose and, and the impact that the drugs have had and all the needles that have been put in her body. And by the end of the movie, the kingpin, who has been moving these girls around, uh, makes the deadly error of, of going to John Rambo's farm, and ultimately, John Rambo cuts his still-beating heart out of his chest and shows it to him before he dies. I mean, it's a great Rambo movie because Rambo movies are great. But that was about child trafficking. And that movie was years and years and years ago. So there are numerous movies about it. I just find the, the hype with Sound of Freedom to be a script in itself to some extent. It took us five years to make this movie. No one wanted to see it. No studio would, 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 you know, would, would play it. And uh, this other studio finally took it up, and it tells the story of Tim Ballard and XYZ. Again, I hope that what Tim Ballard did was real. I hope that he really did these things. And there's plenty of, of evidence to, to clearly point to the fact that he did. Uh, I've also read some criticisms about him that have basically said that regarding these children, in, in particular in this one operation which is highlighted in the movie, 
that most of those children now are unaccounted for. That all, all but maybe three of those 20-some-odd children are unaccounted for, and there might be even more missing that he once rescued, but that the majority of what he did was take down some of these, some of these child traffickers, but there's no telling where the kids are now. That the most that they did, again, was give, them, you know, give those kids the ability to swim in a swimming pool and then have some soda, and then they were turned over to the authorities, and then nobody knows where they went. And again, I, I, that was one of the constant criticisms with Tim Ballard in this operation was is they had no place to put these children. They had no place to take them. Uh, I, I just don't know. I, I really don't know what to think about all of this. I, I, think it's, I think it's odd. I think it's interesting at the same time. Yes, it's a positive message. I have no doubt that it would wake people up. I find this part interesting also. And it's early on, Donald Trump's children were, were tweeting about this or uh, you know, posting on Truth Social about how everybody needs to see Sound of Freedom. But nothing was coming from Donald Trump regarding this until very recently when he put out a Truth post that said, Dr. Ben Carson said that I should go see this or that I should put this out on my, on my Truth account. And I trust Ben Carson, and he's a good man. So here you go, enjoy. And he put out a uh, you know a, a posting of of the trailer to the movie. That's the first mention of it that's been made by Donald Trump at all. Again, this operation was shut down in 2020 when Trump was still in office, from what I know. Again, I I don't know what's going on here with all of this hype. And with all of this, uh, you know, all of this movie hype and this Angel Studio stuff, but I would just say be careful. If I was to, if I was to put out a message about all of this, I would say again, understand that yes, there are psychological operations taking place on multiple sides for multiple reasons, and uh, and we need to be careful. Tim Ballard is a very rich man. He's a very rich man. He takes in copious amounts of donations, and again, when a person does that, where is that money going? What is the promise of where that money is going to go? Do these operations still exist? Are they still underway? Uh, yeah, that's about that's about all I can say regarding it. Um, I don't. I really don't know what else to say re- regarding Tim Ballard and. Jim Caviezel's very dramatic messages on a constant basis regarding the movie and a thousand other things. I, I, I find it interesting. I'll just I'll summarize it that way before I keep rambling. But that's about it. Um, yeah, it's, it's an intense movie. It's a, it's a sad movie. Um, there's an alleged happy ending at the end. But, you know, it, uh, it's like missing in action meets... I don't know, some, some kind of other uh, rescue movie that we've all seen a million times. But yes, it, it certainly shines a light on child trafficking and how this occurs all over the world, not just in the United States, but everywhere. And uh, there's some great statistics at the end of the movie regarding child trafficking and how these children don't just disappear, they are sold and this happens. And I wish that, I really wish this. 
I wish that this happened on more of a grand scale among these particular individuals who claim that they've been shut, you know, shut out of Hollywood or whatever. Why aren't they calling out Hollywood as being the traffickers themselves? Why aren't they calling out politicians as quote unquote allegedly, and they can say allegedly all they'd like, allegedly being the traffickers themselves? This is important because those are the customers, the Tom Hankses of the world. You can't have someone like Sarah Ruth Ashcroft go on Twitter and tell people that her parents sold her to Tom Hanks and sold her to other people when, when she was very, very young, something like 13 years old, if not younger than that. You can't have these people out there saying that kind of stuff and have it not be legit because nothing is happening to them. No one's coming after them. And one of those reasons is simply because if, if again, if an accusation like that were to be countered by a Tom Hanks, for example, in a court of law, I bet Sarah Ruth Ashcroft would have a whole lot of evidence against Tom Hanks. But Tom Hanks doesn't speak of this, and most people don't speak of this. So, I, I don't know. I, I, I found the Sound of Freedom movie to be what it was. I was not surprised by any of it. If you're not surprised by child trafficking, I'd say skip it. Feel free and, and, and skip the movie. Um, it is what it is. I think Angel Studios as, as a group is an interesting one. They ran a couple of trailers for a couple of other movies. Again, some, some of it was rather wholesome, and then some of it was male bashing. They ran a particular trailer, again, out of Angel Studios, from this Angel Studios production company, about an Italian female, um, whatever you would call it, a nun or, or something along those lines. But either way, there's a line at the end of the trailer where she's being stopped by the actor John Lithgow. And she, he says something like, gee, I didn't think you would be as successful as, as, uh, as we thought you'd be. And she turns and says something like, well, I'm not a man. Well, I'm not you, and I'm not a man. And it's like, okay, we get it. We get it. You're a woman. You did something, you did something good, allegedly. You know, good for you. But I just found it, I, I found the message to be a bit strange. And then, of course, getting away from all of that in, in Angel Studios, um, the entire experience in the movie theater was an, was really an odd one. I have not been to a movie theater in a very, very long time. Years, as a matter of fact. And a lot has changed. So let me get away from talking about Sound of Freedom and get into some other observations. First of all, when, when we walked in, there were signs on all of the doors that said, you can't be here without supervision by someone who is over the age of 21. And you can't be here if you're under the age of 18 without supervision, essentially. So if you're going to be supervising somebody, you have to be of 21, you have to be 21 years old. These were signs that were never on movie theaters, which means why are those signs on movie theater doors now? I mean, it's clearly because of the riffraff that comes in and out and teenagers, quote unquote, coming in and being loud and obnoxious and doing what they're doing. Uh, I, I just found that to be an interesting societal shift that has occurred over the last 10 plus years. And again, it's not something that 
I recall ever seeing in the past. Uh, it's clearly a company decision, and, and that's fine, I suppose, but I found it to be odd. Once I got in, I sat down, and they're all reclining seats and leather, leather chairs, which is kind of nice, I guess. But then they started running the trailers, and the commercials, rather. The commercials before the trailers. They ran a commercial, ladies and gentlemen, that was an absolute abomination. Now, as you would expect, all of it's propaganda, and it's thick. It's, it's everything that you would expect to see, just like essentially watching a television commercial, but frankly, they're almost way worse in the movie theater because they've got you and they know that you're not leaving. They ran a trailer from the company Dove, the soap company. And I'll cut to the quick of it here, but it had to do with social media's influence on girls when it comes to their body image, which leads to the likelihood of negative body image as a result of, again, watching social media posts about girls talking about their looks and their weight and XYZ and how that leads to eating disorders. So at the beginning, you can, you can look this up, by the way, on YouTube and watch the entire thing. I put it out on Gab. It, it really is disturbing because what it's doing in the long run, and even just within the three-minute PSA commercial, is it starts off showing a young girl on home video, and you can see her growing up and aging and whatever else, and then it shows close-ups of, of diary entries. And then it shows her receiving a cell phone as a gift as a young teenager, approximately a middle school student. And, uh, and then it shows footage of her taking pictures of herself in the mirror. And it continues on and on. And then it shows pictures of her ultimately in the hospital receiving IV fluids and IV hydration and a thousand other things. And then it sort of cuts to the end where it shows her sitting on a couch inside of a, uh, I don't know, a, 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 an eating disorder institution or something along those lines. And she clearly looks healthier. And it's allegedly the same girl. And she's sitting next to her mother and they're singing a song, and there's a song playing the entire time, whatever else, and she kisses her daughter as if to say she's alive and she's well and everything is fine. At the end, when it's showing sort of the, the credits in the PSA, it says to go to Dove's website to sign a petition to get government to restrict access to social media among teenagers because... And then it throws out, again, the eating disorders and the uh, negative body image stuff and all of that. The PSA is, is atrocious because it's all about big government. If they had their heads about them, which of course they don't because they're a corporation and they're a globalist entity and a thousand other things, anybody with two cents in their brain would know that it's parenting that is the real problem. It's bad parenting. If you give your child a cell phone in today's world, in particular a middle school child, what comes with that is a plethora of consequences, the likes of which the parent can't possibly comprehend. Many can comprehend it, though. This, of course, in the PSA was a parent who could not comprehend the fact that they were actually 
leading their child down a very dangerous path. Of course, no supervision over the cell phone. You don't know what they're watching. You don't know what they're looking at, etc., etc. The same, of course, is true with iPads and tablets and just the internet in general. If you're not being a parent, that's not our fault for being responsible adults on social media or on the internet. That's not our problem. That's your problem as the parent. But again, Dove and government, and certainly these quote-unquote health institutions, don't want to take the blame for anything because they want to blame us. We are to blame. We are the ones who need to be reined in. Not them as parents, not looking in the mirror and saying, I shouldn't have done that. I mean, the real PSA that should have been given regarding that mother and her daughter should have been about don't get, basically not giving your kids cell phones. Don't give your children internet access, tablets, and cell phones. Just don't do it. And if you do it, make sure that there are parental restrictions on all of those technologies so that they are all turned off and they can't download, download apps and they can't do whatever and they just use the phone for calling. That, that's it. That, that's, you know, that, again, a cell phone is an emergency device, theoretically. It was originally designed that way. It was an emergency device. Uh, if people had a car phone back in the day, that was, that's what that was for. My car broke down. I can call a tow truck and they can come and help me, or I see danger here. I'll get on the phone and, and call someone. Now, of course, they are leading directly to the mental and emotional deterioration of children, along with adults, I'm sure, as well. But I, I just thought that entire PSA was disgusting. And, uh, and I could see it at face value for what they were trying to do, but at the exact same time, what it really meant. And it was beyond bizarre. So I wanted to bring that to your attention, too, because it was strange. They, of course, also have another movie cult coming out about Golda Meir called Golda. Golda Meir was a butcher, of course. And uh, that, of course, I'm sure isn't going to be shared in the movie. But it was a lot of Jewish propaganda as well. And it was all throughout not just that movie trailer, but a lot of the other PSAs and commercials that were going on, of course. And yeah, it was disgusting. So I don't see myself going back to a movie theater anytime soon. Again, it was Sound of Freedom was a decent movie and uh, certainly worth the watch and an important message. And again, if, if that movie Sound of Freedom wakes people up, then great. All, all the more for it. I just wish that the Tim Ballards wouldn't run away from the Q posts. And that uh, Jim Caviezel would, you know, do a little less dramatic speaking and a little more, hey, look, this information is out there and you need to start thinking for yourself. And uh, that, that would be, that, you talk about opening up even more eyes than just going to a movie. I, I think that would be a better plan. But they didn't ask me and that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. Okay. In fact, I'll tell you what, one more thing here about Tim Ballard, which was a post that was on Great Awakening. And again, the person was asking questions, which I think is important. Uh, they said, can anyone give me additional information on Tim Ballard and the Underground Railroad uh, or Operation Underground Railroad that he was running? They said this. They said, I'm not trying to play devil's advocate or anything here, but I can't find much on this guy. The wiki page on O-U-R and Ballard is pretty short. They said, I'm likely a massive cynic, 
But I once believed the Red Cross was doing good work around the world. I once thought the same about UNICEF. There's been articles about the advocates for juveniles in detention facilities uh, being found guilty of crimes like CP possession and abuse. So I'm now immediately skeptical of anyone running a nonprofit, quote unquote, to help kids being trafficked. Can anyone discuss what OUR's conduct on stings, quote unquote, might be that have received criticism? I know Ballard was on Trump's sex trafficking partnership, but I also didn't realize it ended in September of 2020, unquote. All valid questions. Again, these are valid questions. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to have more questions as time goes on here with this. And I may or may not bring them up on the show. I might, but I, I don't know. I just think there's more here. I just have a suspicion that there's more here. That's all. So wanted to bring that to your attention as well. Okay, here's another little thing, another little observation. This is one that my dad made, and he took a picture of this. There is a, uh, a grocery store in Southwest Ohio that is called Jungle Gyms. It's a fantastic place when it comes to food and assortment because it has to do with international foods. And essentially, if you can imagine it, it exists in this place. Uh, they have a larger store sort of in the, the Fairfield, uh, Ohio area, and then another one closer to Cincinnati. Either way, in this larger one, he took a picture when he was inside. And it's a giant sign that says, are you bilingual? Question mark. And it has a giant picture of the continent of Africa with a few other countries uh, sort of on the periphery. And then it says, help wanted. Go to customer service counter at the front registers or learn more at junglegyms.com slash careers. It's official. They are looking for individuals who are bilingual and not from here or speak a foreign language, and are not from here. So that's interesting. I think it's disturbing, but that is something that is clearly happening, and Jungle Gyms is apparently completely on board. Uh, yeah, so there was that observation, which is, you know, I'm sure going on lots of different places, but it's certainly happening here. Now, there's no transition here to this particular story, but this has to do with what the Canadian government is doing regarding uh, the, uh, I guess, creation of what are called personal information banks. And this was a post that was on greatawakening.win also. I took a screenshot of it because I figured I'd share it here. I know I have Canadian listeners as well, and I, I care about what's going on in Canada. But it says the following. It says, please feel free and share this with other Canadians. Details shared are as follows. Quote, the federal government has quietly begun the creation of personal information banks to collect and store data on Canadians. We were not consulted nor informed about the creation or existence of these databases, and they are being collected without our permission or knowledge. Categories of information include biometrics, DNA, blood type, eye facial scan, fingerprints, etc., personal biography, medical history, financial history, credit information, opinions or views of or about individuals, and much more. It says here's a link to the government website describing PIBs. It says scroll to the last section for categories of information, and it is on canada.ca slash en slash treasury board secretariat and so on and so on and so on. 
It says the uh, Canada Review Agency, I'm sorry, Revenue Agency, CRA, has quietly added it to their privacy terms so that in order to submit an application for benefits, such as the one-time housing top-up they started offering in December, you must click and you... I'm sorry, you must click that you agree to the terms, including, quote, being described in personal information bank under development, unquote, in order to submit your application. It is also a term in the Canada Pension Plan, the CPP application. It quite likely will be a term for submitting your income tax return. So read those privacy terms when filing your taxes this year. It says the federal government is using the federal health transfers to bribe the premiers to adopt a big tech-style data-for-service healthcare system. This means that your personal health records that use that used to be private and confidential between you and your doctor will now be entered into the PIBs to be shared between the federal government, their stakeholders, and whoever else they decide can have access to it. They lay it all out in their department plan, I'm sorry, departmental plan for Health Canada 2022-2023. There is no mention of hiring healthcare workers. It's all data, digitization, AI, vaccines, and so on. They provide the link there too. Again, basically the same website. Uh, Canada.ca slash EN slash Health Canada slash other words. It says this is a big deal. Now is the time to make some noise. If you have a podcast, a following, a blog, a friend, please get the word out. Flood the Prime Minister, the Premiers, the Ministers, the CRA, anyone you can think of with letters and phone calls. Consider sending a letter in lieu of a tax return if you are in a position to do so or other civil disobedience. They do not have the right to just start stealing our personal information and using our own tax dollars to bribe us into compliance. What they do, what they do have is a lot of nerve. And then they provide an email and it says, please email Gloria, S-A-N-F-R-E-E at ProtonMail.com if you would like to contact the writer of the above. So their email is G-L-O-R-I-A. S-A-N-F-R-E-E at ProtonMail.com, I guess, if you want more information on that. Just wanted to move that along. That sounds like a nightmare. Uh, Canada, I tell you what, we're right there with you when it comes to uh, globalization, if you know what I mean. And it's not good. Um, Let me see here. There's this too. Two education things which are going to slide right into the education topics I have to bring up. And again, plenty of jab-related things as well. Uh, A family member of mine in Missouri, who you've heard me reference before, and they've sent me a great deal of information, and I'm grateful for it, they sent me this. They received a postcard in the mail randomly, and her husband is a former and now retired school principal in Missouri. But uh, they sent me this, and it's a picture of a postcard from adoptaclassroom.org. And on the front, it says, thank you, from adoptaclassroom.org. And then it says their 25th anniversary, if I'm reading that right. Yeah, 25th anniversary. And it has pictures of children and whatever else, the rainbow colors and all the 
sort of typical things you would expect to see. On the inside of the card, however, it has their names. Now, this entire message that I'm going to read is one of those messages that you would get, again, from these fraudulent organizations. Or It's certainly a real organization, but it's fraudulent in, in clearly what they're doing for people or what they say they're doing as they're always soliciting money, basically, from unsuspecting people. But it looks like it's been handwritten, but it's not really handwritten. It's one; of, it's just printed on. And then they simply have these individuals' names and clearly their address. And then they print all of that information on here. And then they do whatever they do in an effort to bait individuals into calling them and contacting them uh, and to uh, basically essentially donate money. Um, whether they'd like to or not. But the inside of the card said the following. It said, hello, and then it said both of their names, both of their first names. It said, I wanted to take a moment at the end of the school year to give you my heartfelt appreciation for your donation to teachers. It says, your gift is a direct investment in our children's future. It means the world to teachers like me to have your support through an organization like adoptaclassroom.org. Being a teacher isn't always easy, but people like you make the difference. Thank you for standing with me and my colleagues. Sincerely yours, Felicia Henderson, Teacher Advisory Board Member, 2023 Racial Equity in Schools Fund Grant Recipient. And that's it. What's interesting is my family members haven't given any money to this organization ever. They both said that they hadn't given any or any money to them whatsoever, and yet they received something like this in the mail. Again, my take on this is pretty straightforward. If you need any more evidence that the education business is corrupt, this is your evidence. This is just more of it. It's a solicitation for money in a bait-and-switch tactic in order to get you to call them or look them up and say, I received this from all of you, and I've never given you a dime. And then they get you on the phone and then they say, well, have you read about our business? Would you like to donate to us? Because clearly the education business is struggling and teachers aren't getting paid enough. And with your donation, it's going to go to school supplies and blah, blah, blah. You have, you have some of the most corrupt and satanic politicians wrapped up in this uh, adoptaclassroom.org organization, which comes out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Again, they don't even live there. They live in Missouri. My family members do. So, again, this is this is beyond odd. Um, but again, if you get something like this, understand what it is. It's it's a solicitation for attention. It's a solicitation for money, and and yeah, it's a scam. Groups like this, again, with politicians who are taking pictures around groups like this and the people associated with them and all those giant check photos that we all see, it's all fraudulent. All of it's fraudulent. If, if you donate money to this organization, uh, adoptaclassroom.org, that money is going right into the pockets of the people who are running the scam. So just wanted to bring that to your attention because that's a thing and that's certainly going to start popping up here. Certainly toward the end of this month, as school re-enters its session, so to speak, and uh, students start going back and professional development sessions start happening again, quote-unquote, and people are going to start begging for money.
and begging for free school supplies and all the other pathetic begging that they do. And uh, yeah, that's one of them. Here's another observation. This is in the town where I live. Again, University Town, Miami University. This is a picture that my dad took at a bookstore that has existed in this town for a very long time. And they sell books, uh, both, again, to students for their university classes. And the university professors, of course, contact the bookstore and make sure that the books or packets or information for the class are available through this store. There are a few of these, a couple of bookstores anyway, on campus. But this one is uh, the Dubois Bookstore. People pronounce it Du Bois, but that, of course, is incorrect. It's pronounced Du Bois. Either way, there's a sign on the door, and my dad took a picture of it, and here's what it says. It says, where are the books? Below that, it says, after 85 years of selling textbooks, the Du Bois family has made the difficult decision to stop selling textbooks. Frowny face emoji. It says, why? It says, quote, selling textbooks to students in an off-campus brick-and-mortar location has always been a challenging business model. Those challenges steadily increased over the past several years to the point that it became no longer financially viable to continue. It then says, here are a few of the more noteworthy factors that hastened our departure from selling textbooks. And they list three reasons. We, of course, know that there are endless reasons as to why this is the case. I'll hit on a few of those in, in just a minute. But the, uh, the sign says this. It says digital course materials is one of the reasons. It says the recent shift to remote learning as a result of COVID rapidly accelerated both student and instructional acceptance of digital course materials, which are often sold directly to students by publishers. The next one, they say, is online marketplaces says the number of students shopping online from companies such as Amazon made it increasingly difficult to anticipate sales and order accordingly. This often resulted in unsold inventory, which drove down the already thin profit margin on textbooks. And then the third reason they list is direct sales. Publishers are increasingly selling directly to students bypassing college bookstores. All of that is valid. And all of that is 100% correct. There's no doubt about it. At the bottom, it says, what's next? It says, Dubois will now focus 100% of our energies on growing and enhancing our award-winning selection of Miami clothing and souvenirs. Look for new and exciting additions. We have a lot of new items on the way. And that's it. Getting rid of books via updated business models and updated educational avenues, so to speak, is, is not a new thing. This was an inevitability. You can get on Amazon and buy a used textbook through any online bookstore or second or third hand party for cents on the dollar. Almost everybody knows that now. And it's not just Amazon. You can get these just about anywhere. You can get on eBay and look for a used book. You, there are endless online bookstores that are not associated with Amazon whatsoever, and you can buy directly from them too. I remember, however, back in the day, and of course I went to school before Amazon was even a thing, but you had no choice to buy the textbook. Even if you owned the textbook already, 
you would run the risk of getting in an argument with a professor in the middle of class because the professor demanded that you would go to the bookstore to buy the book. Those arguments were frequent among students and professors. They Again, they would say, I already own this. And then they would say, I don't care. I need to scan the barcode in the classroom and see that you're holding the book that came from the bookstore or else you're not going to be credited with anything from this class if you don't have the book that I assigned you at the time I assigned it. It was beyond absurd. Uh, it's communism, as a matter of fact, but if not downright Bolshevism. On top of that, it, it shifted. The, the, the entire thing then shifted from these arguments taking place about buying books to more of a, as a professor and as a classroom, we're now going to create packets and packets of information that have articles in them and other instructional things that we're going to use in our class. That way we don't have to use a textbook, but at the exact same time we can still force the student to acquire this packet and buy the packet. Because you can't return the packet the way that you can return a book and get some of your money back. And again, of course, the books are all overpriced, as we know. I, I once spent $300 on a textbook, for God's sakes, and, and got $80 back in a return. And I didn't even open the book once. Um, it's highway robbery. But it doesn't surprise me that this is happening. This is not the only bookstore where this is taking place. And um, it's interesting. It's, it's a good thing. It's a bad thing. It's a double-edged sword. But uh, it's, it's just showing the direction that a lot of these professors are going in, and frankly, they're, they're remaining in the packet avenue, that they get to fill their own classroom with a packet filled with indoctrination and brainwashing and propaganda, and then they force you to buy it. And then, of course, you can't even copy it from a fellow classmate. You actually have to buy it and then prove that you've bought it to the professor, and then you use it uh, to start a fire when the whole class is over with because there's no sense in keeping it. So there you go. That's clearly something that's not just happening on this university campus. It is happening everywhere. I, I guarantee it. All right. That leads me to this, diving even more into education here. Um, I, I set this story aside. This was put out on, on July 4th from insiderpaper.com, but I wanted to make brief mention of this because th this wouldn't at face value, someone would say, well, yay, this is a good thing. And they'd get excited and say, yes, technology like this doesn't belong in the classroom and whatever else. But I think this is far more nefarious than, than what people can expect. It is titled, Netherlands to Ban Mobile Phones from Classrooms. It says, the Netherlands said last Tuesday that it will ban mobile phones from classrooms in a bid to stop tech disrupting lessons. Now, this is what they say, and I am also hearing currently that the, uh, the Dutch government is crumbling or something along those lines, which is a good thing because, of course, they're all controlled globalists and stealing farmland. The ultimate point with this is that, I under again, it's a double-edged sword. There's a number of things going on with this. Yes, having technology like that out of the classroom is a good thing. However, if they're removing it to censor people and to censor the truth and censor what's really going on around the world and then, of course, in their own country, that's a massive problem. That level of censorship is clearly not a good thing. 
It continues, however, here, and it says, Mobiles, tablets, and smartwatches are getting in the way of students learning and will not be allowed in class from next year, the Dutch government said. Quote, there's an increasing evidence that mobile phones have a harmful effect during lessons, it said. Pupils are less able to concentrate and their performance suffers. It says, for this reason, mobile phones as well as tablets, smartwatches will no longer be allowed in classrooms from January 1st of 2024. Okay. Um, yeah, they're basically saying, let the parents know, let the, every school know, let everybody know. And if they break the rules, well, then they're breaking the rules of the school and they should be disciplined and blah, blah, blah. Um, again, they have a point from an instructional standpoint. Clearly the problem is, 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 does this specifically have to do with censorship or, or is it really about eliminating disruptive instruction? I'm not sure, but it could be both, and it's possible that it's both, but either way, I just wanted to bring that to your attention. That's a thing, so that if you were to hear something like that again in a school in the United States that no cell phones are allowed or uh, no tablets are allowed or even no internet is allowed, that can be a very good thing. It can also be a very bad thing. It just depends on the motivations of the person pushing forth the policy. So again, is it because... The Dutch don't want their children learning about what's really going on in their own country. I'm not sure. It's possible, but that is a thing, and that is that is happening. Uh, okay, other education-related things here, and a few that I want to dive into more specifically than others. This was from ResistTheMainstream.com, uh, rather, and it is titled, Largest Teachers Union in America Recommended Educators to Include Genderqueer in Their Summer Reading. The National Education Association, of course. This is not shocking to anybody who listens to this show or has heard my voice before. This is pretty much par for the course. So that's what they recommend to be their standard reading for teachers during the summer for their so-called professional development. There is this too. You've heard me speak about this also. And uh, this is a New York thing also, and certainly something that seems to be ramping up in New York City. But this is from the Gateway Pundit just the other day. Uh, New York City Mayor Eric Adams is looking to house illegal border crossers in empty school buildings for the summer. Coming to a town near you, ladies and gentlemen, groups of illegals being given a place to stay in a vacant school. Either, again, just during the summer when school is out of session, or a vacant school that no longer has students in it because they had to close the doors because they're insolvent. This is just another thing that they're going to use these empty buildings for. I'm telling you, it has to be happening not just here, but endless other places. If memory serves, I heard of this being done in South Carolina already. Um... I know that there's an, a 20-unit apartment complex that is going up in our town, where I live, that the city council approved, and it's over 600-some-odd thousand dollars, uh, and it's all for illegal aliens. That, again, they're illegal, so clearly they don't live here, but they're not even like Ohio residents. They just are coming in from foreign countries, and they're just being put up in these places. This invasion is ongoing, and it, it's not going away, not, certainly not anytime soon. But these people need to be rounded up. I'm telling you what, we cannot continue to flood our country 
and vacant buildings, let alone school buildings, with illegal aliens. This is, uh, it's getting out of control. There is this too, which I want to dive into briefly. Apparently, Ohio, the state where I live, has now just passed their school voucher program and their school choice legislation and is being signed into law. This is a good thing. This is from Fox News. It is titled, The Dam is Breaking on School Choice as Battleground State Passes Voucher Program, says an advocate. Uh, It says, Ohio joins a wave of states passing pro-school choice legislation. And here's just a couple of quotes with a couple of statistics here. It says, Ohio is the eighth state to go all in on school choice in just two years. That's from Corey DeAngelis, a senior fellow at the American Federation for Children. Uh, The dam is breaking for the government school monopoly. It says the $86 billion budget that Governor Mike DeWine signed Tuesday included pro-school choice policies joining Arizona, West Virginia, Iowa, Utah, Arkansas, Florida, and Oklahoma, which passed similar legislation in the past two years. It says the following, Ohio's voucher expansion allows families earning up to 450% of the federal poverty line which is $135,000 for a family of four, to apply for scholarships. Previously, only families earning up to 250% of the poverty line were eligible. It says the scholarships provided increased by 12%. They increased by 12%. And it says the same increase public schools received, with up to about 6200 for K-8 through students and $8,400 for high schoolers to use for private schools or for homeschooling. That's excellent. Again, who would turn this down? What child who reads and writes would turn this down? What family would turn this down? You're going to receive that money back for your child's education to put toward anything you want. The part of this, however, that I'm skeptical about and don't like, because as you know, I'm an abolitionist. I don't like I don't like government. I don't like any of this. I don't like these strings attached policies either. If you're going to have school choice, then there should be no taxes. None. Zero. Let the schools be run by government and not be run by, by taxpayer dollars. Which means if you don't attend those schools that are run by government, then you shouldn't have to pay taxes. And you certainly shouldn't have to apply for some scholarship to receive money that is your money to begin with, uh, back from government to then be put toward your child's education, either again through a a public or rather a private school or a charter school or a a home school and and just staying home and, and learning at home. The entire roll around and rigmarole, as far as I'm concerned, is completely absurd. Abolish the entire thing. Get rid of all of it. I think it's good that, again, it's clearly a step in a better direction, I think, but we know for a fact that they're also going to be data mining. They're going to be keeping track of the number of people who are homeschooling. They're going to be adjusting their budgets based on the number of people, of course, that are going to be homeschooling and taking full advantage of of this entire new law. 
Um, but even with that said, I would still say go for it. Take full advantage of it. Pull your children out. Make these public schools completely insolvent and bankrupt and close their doors. And take that government money and spend it on yourself because it's your money to begin with anyway. It's just government stealing from you and then giving it back to you in another way. But use it for your own children any way that you see fit. And uh, yeah, so that's good news. Something to keep an eye on in the future as to how they uh, manipulate the statistics one way or another, or certainly if the statistics come out and they are accurate or close to accurate, that would be that would be better because it will be telling and it will show that far more people are leaving the public school system than what they can possibly imagine because the, of the number of people applying for those scholarships and and to receive that kind of money. So there you go. There's a victory. Um, there was this article too shifting gears slightly, but kind of even back to the Sound of Freedom stuff, and this shouldn't surprise anybody, but this is from SwissInfo.ch, Switzerland's uh, uh, Switzerland publication. It says, child abuse continues to rise in Switzerland. That's the headline. Now, that's not a new thing, and Switzerland, of course, is a major hub for child trafficking. This, again, not a new thing. They, of course, blame uh, basically neglect in the home. They blame a number of things regarding the school system, uh, and they, they blame a number of other things. What they don't seem to blame, of course, is the fact that Switzerland is the home of all of these satanic and globalist organizations that exist on Earth. The Bilderberg Group meets there. It's the home of the WEF. It's the home of the WHO. Uh, let's see, if memory serves, Switzerland is the founding home of Freemasonry. So that should tell you just about all you need to know there. And uh, child abuse increasing in Switzerland, again, should not should not shock people. They are talking here about, again, increases in physical abuse and psychological abuse being the most common reasons for hospitalization. And yeah, just wanted to bring that to your attention. But again, it's basically like saying, it's hot in hell. Well, yeah, it's Switzerland, and they are nuts. They have gone off the deep end with their social control and psychological control, and it's having a negative impact on children because that's the intent, and it's an abomination, and uh, yeah. Of course, you don't have to go to Switzerland in order to find such abominations. You can just stay right here with our own government. Uh, there is this. This is from AmericaFirstReport.com from last week. Wanted to bring this to your attention too. It is titled "Forced Perversion." Biden HHS director threatens to cut Medicare payments to hospitals if they don't allow genital mutilation of children. And there you go. It says for years Democrats and Republicans have blamed one another for wanting to cut Medicare and Medicaid, and now it could finally happen. Like some direct order straight out of a communist regime, Biden officials just released their plan to cut Medicare and Medicaid payments to hospitals and states if they do not universally allow for chemical castration and genital mutilation of children. This, of course, is Biden's HHS director, Javier Bachera. Uh, he said, quote, we have issued some guidelines that say that a provider who receives Medicare and Medicaid funding must be prepared to offer gender-affirming care, unquote. This is, this is happening. This is not good. Um, I'm not going to read through the entire article, but I think you understand 
what their method is and what is happening here and how it's not going away. They make their little inroads where they can, of course, and then if they don't get all the inroads they want, they simply threaten the individuals who are a part of the larger corporation or larger organization, and they simply start pulling the threads right out of these places as much as they can to make things tighter and harder for everybody, all in the name of destroying children. We have to keep that in mind because that's their plan and that's what they always want to do. Okay, speaking of destroying lives, <laughs> no, again, no, no positive transition here, uh, jab-related things, and there's lots to get to. This is from Dr. William Mackis. He also has a substack, if memory serves, but he put out an article here uh, just the other day titled, Healthcare Workers Are Dying Suddenly. Paramedics, chiropractors, nursing or physician assistants, dental assistants, care home workers, psychologists. And then he specifically highlights 14 deaths in just the last three months, uh, of course, among these 14 people. Uh, a North Vancouver paramedic, uh, remembered for his volunteer patrols to reverse overdoses, uh, he has died. A couple of posts about him. Uh, another California doctor has passed away also. A 29-year-old Robert Little died. He, was a, he graduated from uh, Florida College of Natural Health, and he's dead. And it just goes on and on and on. Uh, again, these individuals' social media posts saying, yay, I'm vaccinated. Uh, you know, I'm a healthcare worker. I did my duty and all that virtue signaling that they do. And then all of a sudden, they're no longer alive. This is going to continue to take quite the toll on the healthcare profession. And as we've theorized before and, and discussed before here on this show, what are they going to do? with all of the individuals who are coming up through the ranks to be nurses and be doctors? And then at the exact same time, what are they going to do with all of those who find their way into the profession and any of those individuals are forced to take the jabs? And then, of course, those individuals fall ill and die. Who are they going to replace them with? We've theorized here that they're going to replace them with illegals. That much like the education system, they will dumb down the policies, the procedures, the, uh, the qualifications, the education, and then they will simply say, well, here's an illegal. They look like they're an illegal, but they're here legally. We promise and trust us they're, they're a licensed nurse in the country where they came from, so they're allowed to practice medicine here. And then before you know it, the hospitals and uh, urgent care facilities around the United States start to look like they're all based out of Africa or a, a country in Africa, and everybody just starts looking the same, but not the way that it used to. Again, this is already happening to some extent, but it's quite plausible that this will continue to be the case in the future because, again, you can't keep forcing these bioweapons on nursing students and medical students and expect them to survive, and then, of course, have it be a requirement to work in a hospital and have them survive. It's, uh, it's an inevitability that it's crumbling, and we're certainly living through it now and seeing that happen. So just wanted to bring that to your attention also. 
There, of course, is this. Just want to make quick mention of this because I've written about this on my Substack, so there's no need to go in into too much depth about it. But this is from leadingreport.com, and it's titled "Biden Stole One Billion Dollars from U.S. Taxpayers in COVID Test Kits Scam." Again, not surprising. Uh, I've, I've, I, like I said, I've written about it on my Substack, the American Classroom. The tests are fraudulent. The companies know that the tests are fraudulent. They were working with schools, hospitals to receive money from them to provide these fraudulent tests, and then the brainwashed go to a Walgreens and buy these tests, thinking that it tells them that they're sick when in fact they're not. They take it. They say, oh my gosh, it popped up positive. I have COVID. They tell their employer they have COVID. Their employer says, stay home for seven days. I mean, that's still happening. People are still believing that lie. It's astounding. Absolutely astounding. That leads me to this too, which again is something that's been discussed before and is now making the rounds again, and suspiciously so, I think. But this is from the Daily Skeptic. Again, no pun there. Uh, but the title is Pfizer vaccine batches in the EU were placebos, say scientists. I'm going to read through this a little bit because, again, I know that this was making the rounds here this past week. So it shows a chart, with a line graph essentially, or a plot graph with, uh, with bullet points on it in, in three particular colors. There's the blue line, the green line, and the yellow line. Again, I, I know that there are people who have already gone over this, but I just want to hit on a couple of things here very quickly. It says, it shows that the batches used in Denmark, which are represented by the points in the graph, essentially break down into three groups. The green batches clustered around the green line have a moderate to moderately high level of adverse events associated with them. In the discussion with these doctors and and on this particular German show, apparently. It says, as he explains this particular doctor, it represents the batch that was used the most in Denmark, with somewhat over 800,000 doses having been administered. These 800,000 doses are associated with around 2,000 suspected adverse events, which gives a reporting rate of one suspected adverse event per approximately 400 doses. As Diker puts it, quote, that's not a small amount if we compare to what we know otherwise from influenza vaccines. According to Diker's calculation, the green batches account for more than 60% of the Danish sample. It says there are then the blue batches clustered around the blue line, which are obviously associated with an extraordinarily high level of adverse events. As Diker notes, no, no more than 80,000 doses of any one of the blue batches were administered in Denmark suggesting that these essentially bad batches may perhaps have been quietly pulled from the market uh, by public health authorities. It says, nonetheless, these batches had as many as 8,000 suspected adverse events associated with them. 8,000 out of 80,000 doses would give a reporting rate of one suspected adverse event for every 10 doses. And Diker notes that some of the blue batches are indeed associated with a reporting rate as high as one suspected adverse event for every six doses. There's also the yellow line, which is the least amount of adverse reactions per dose. Here's my whole thing with the placebo business. It's possible, again, that some batches are more poisonous and toxic than others. They're all poisonous, though. 
even placebo doses are poisonous. Even placebo doses have no business being injected into people because there are still things in those placebo doses that don't belong in people. With that said, it's also plausible and certainly highly probable that the individuals who were distributing these doses wanted to make sure that not all of the most harmful doses were being distributed to the exact same spot at the exact same time. You will, of course, also have to take into account the entire timeline. And this should have been, again, the biggest red flag for anyone. And I mean anybody. Whenever in your life have you ever taken multiple doses of the same thing in the same year? Three doses. People were taking three doses in 2021. That was the year where everybody was dying. Now, they're still dying. And they're still getting sick. That again implies that the poison isn't out of the body. Yes, it may not have hit them as strongly as someone who was given a harsher dose, but they had to spread out the doses, is my point, because if they were giving the most poisonous doses in a singular geographic area, everybody would be dead. And then, of course, they had to stretch it out over the course of time which is why they were giving some of the doses as early as November of 2020 and then into 2021. And then the boosters came out in the fall and now we're up to our fourth and fifth booster, if not higher than that. And then, of course, the fact that this same poison and all of this uh, lipid nanoparticle technology is making its way into the flu shots, insulin shots, and other shots going forward. It's, uh, it's a scheme, and we all know that. So when you hear the word placebo, don't think that, uh, th- that these shots don't have poison in them. They certainly do. I would simply say to those individuals who maybe are still alive, of course, and, and have received one, two, three, or more shots, I would simply say you have to give this time. There's clearly a time lapse and a ticking time bomb element to this that people are not considering and completely um, asleep on. But just because they're not dead yet, or not sick yet, or don't have turbo cancer yet, doesn't mean that they're not going to be. Again, I'm not saying that to be a Debbie Downer. I'm saying it because it's logical. People are still returning to receive these shots, and they don't know what's in the other ones going forward, let alone the pills. So this is going to be interesting going forward. But again, somebody looking at this would would say to themselves, well, that's not a lot of uh, adverse reactions as a result of of the high dosage rate and whatever else, or the high lot numbers or or whatever it may be, or the geographic distribution. I would say that's not entirely true. That there's there's no uh, there's no mush as as Dr. Ryan Cole would imply and lead people to believe. It's poison. Any way you slice it. And some of it, again, is, is certainly more poisonous than others, not to mention not everybody was probably receiving the exact same measurement of shot within their body than, say, in other places. And, and one of the easiest ways, by the way, that you can see this is when you've actually seen video footage of people being injected. They're not receiving the same amount from person to person. Some of those syringes are filled to the brim. Some of those syringes are just a little 
I don't know, a few drops almost, it seems, and anything in between. So it's it's going to be interesting going forward. But again, when you hear the word placebo, don't think, oh, you know, there's nothing in them. It's just saline. It might be, and there may be some, but this is also why they needed multiple doses. Because if you're going to mix saline into, the, in, into a poison or among batches of, of deadly biological weapon poison, you have to get people to take multiple shots because it, because it increases the likelihood of them not receiving a placebo. And it increases the likelihood of them actually injecting the bioweapon into themselves more than once. That's why they did it two, three plus times. That was the trick. And again, too many people still don't know that. And I think it's, I think it's awful. Um, let me read this now. A couple of things here. Uh, I've been talking with Kim Carter here this past week, and she's a nurse, as, as you know, and, and she's been on the show before, uh, a major hospital in, in the Cincinnati area. And she hit me up and she said, hey, you know, good news, your, your school board speech is still making the rounds. And she took a screenshot from Twitter where somebody was, plasma, you know, moving it around. And I said, great, if, you know, if it keeps people from taking any more shots or it wakes them up to what's going on, then that's good, even though it's, you know, two years old now. But uh, whatever, if, if the message still holds, which it seems to be holding, then that's, then that's great. I started asking her then about, what she's seeing. Um, and she says the following here. She says, I'm seeing random ages coming in with random shit. Uh, lots of quote unquote unexpected cancers, brain aneurysms, necrotizing pancreatitis, LVADs, etc. And then I said, what are the youngest patients that you've seen who are jabbed? And she said, 23, 23 years of age. She says she has a 32-year-old female who came in with a broken leg after a fall. She went downhill quick, and she's now on a vent and has pulmonary hypertension. I said, jabbed, all of that, simply over a broken leg? Uh, and then I said, is she overweight? She said, yes, she is jabbed, and yes, she is overweight. No health issues prior to two years ago. And then I asked her, uh, as, I'm, as I'm talking here, I asked her recently, I said, well, after that conversation, I said, what are you seeing with jab patients in their blood these days? And how are blood transfusions going? And are you still taking donations, blood donations from jabbed people and giving jabbed blood to others? She then started to tell me uh, that it's ironic that I brought up blood because her father, unfortunately, is passing away. Um, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer apparently about six weeks ago. He's not jabbed, but needs a blood transfusion, which of course got the conversation going a little bit. And I sent her this. Um, she also, by the way, said that her, her father is 78 years old, uh, that the hospital gave him E. coli in his blood during a procedure and it broke him down really fast. I, of course, said that I would pray for him as I hope everybody else does too. Um, again, he's unjabbed, and even the jabbed need our prayers here. But it led me to send her this, because this was making the rounds on Twitter too, from the National Citizens Inquiry in Canada, if memory serves. 
And I want to play this audio of this mother testifying regarding her experience with jabbed blood that was given to her son against her will and against her consent because he needed blood and he was unjabbed and wanted to receive clean blood, but the hospital said, we can't do that. Uh, and you can't, as a mother, donate and you can't gather other blood from other people and give it to your child. Now, you may recall we heard about this in New Zealand, allegedly regarding a, a newborn baby. This happened with her son, and she will describe what happened, and you could probably take a guess. So give this a listen here in three, two, one. I took my son into the IWK hospital September, and um, he had a swollen elbow. So I was getting it checked out, and they ended up doing his blood work. To make a long story short, his hemoglobin came back, and it was very low. <clears throat> it was extremely low that to the point where he was going to need a blood transfusion. And I said, oh, no problem. I have no problem giving my blood for blood transfusion, um, given all my research and studies that I have done with the blood supply and the vaccines and everything. I wanted to make sure that the blood that he was given was, was, uh, <clears throat> was safe. So I ended up rallying up about 300 donors to uh, give blood to my child because he was O positive and myself was O positive. And uh, I was denied by the uh, Nova Scotia blood, blood supply in Nova Scotia that uh, this couldn't be done and that I couldn't be a transplant, I couldn't be a donor to my son as, as well. And um, it was all denied. And then I ended up having to give him uh, donated blood from the blood bank. He, he died November the 21st. Do you have any evidence that it was because of tainted blood? Have you looked into that? No, no. My son was cremated and there was an autopsy done, but they said that he died from underlying conditions, which possibly could have happened, but it's the way he died that, uh, kind of struck home for me. There was no evidence that he was going to die or that he was sick in any way. He got his blood transfusion. We get out of the hospital. It was around three weeks after. I think we were in the hospital for a good couple of weeks. Okay. And um, we were getting our blood done. We seen the pediatrician. He was, everything was good. <clears throat> On November the 21st at 5.24 p.m., he was sitting on my knee and he just stopped blinking and um, he passed away. Yeah. There was no indication that he was sick or he was going to pass away. And he didn't have any heart condition. And how old was he when this happened? He was 11 years old. Okay. So it happened um, 12 weeks after the blood transfusion. And uh, I understand he died of cardiac arrest. And you tried yeah, that's, to... what my, that's what my doctor thinks he, he had passed away with. But the autopsy said that he passed away from underlying condition, okay. which possibly could have been because I didn't have anything tested or any means to test his blood after he had the blood to make sure that his blood was okay. And you had rallied some people that had the same blood type as, as he did. And I, I understand you have the same blood type as he. I have O positive. And, yeah. and the hospital either didn't want to or wasn't able to use any of your blood. Is that fair? 
Yeah, I was, I was, I would, my, my parental rights would have been taken away if I hadn't chosen to go the route of the donated blood donation from the blood clinic. Um, I tried to rally them, but there was no way that uh, I could have used my blood or anybody else's blood. And my fear was that he would have gotten vaccinated blood and then he, and he would have died from that. You made a comment your parental rights would be taken away. Um, can you add to that and just let us know how? Well, if I didn't agree to the blood transfusion, um, the pediatrician on at that point in time said that my panther rights would have been removed and I, I would have to leave the hospital and Luke would have ended up getting the transfusion anyways. <laughs> so I decided to stay and okay the transfusion under duress. So just make sure I got this right. The pedi pediatrician said that if you didn't agree to a blood transfusion, that yeah, there wasn't any option. There wasn't. I couldn't use my blood, nor could I use the donors or anybody else that wanted to donate to my son. I the, the only option I had was to use blood from the Nova Scotia blood bank. There was there was no talk. There was no. There was nothing either. I did it this way, or I I would have. They would have took my parental rights away and I would have ended up having to do it anyways. You had concern about getting blood from the Canadian blood bank. What was the kind of information that you gather in order to raise some question about that? It would have been what was in the vaccine that was killing people or making people sick. My worries that it was going to be in the blood if it was infused out like for proteins or graphene oxide would have been in the blood that would have been able, that would have harmed him in some way. I have to tell you, I think that this avenue of tainted blood is a subject that, of course, we've brought up here on the show before and has been discussed at length. But I don't think it's being written about enough. It's certainly not being spoken about enough, certainly by the larger individuals who have the larger megaphones. The Peter McCulloughs are not speaking about this, are they? You're not hearing Robert Malone and Ryan Cole and these other nitwits bring this up. They're not talking about this, at least not to my knowledge. They're talking about a thousand other things, but not jabbed blood and, and, and jabbed blood being tainted blood. That if you're an unjabbed person and you go in even for a routine surgery of some kind, so to speak, there's absolutely zero guarantee that you're going to be receiving unjabbed blood. In fact, just based on the numbers alone, you can assume that you're going to be receiving jabbed blood. And that's going to have a negative impact on you. Certainly, in her son's case, which is terrible. And then, of course, in her case, if she refused this blood transfusion because she naively, again, bless her heart, but she naively trusted the hospital system and they went in for a swollen elbow, for God's sakes, and then all of a sudden he needs a blood transfusion. I mean, that took a quick turn, didn't it? And then all of a sudden that turns into, well, what about tainted blood? And they went, well, you don't need to worry about it. Well, now her son is dead. And if she refused, they were going to take her son away from her anyway and do the procedure anyway. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, that's totalitarianism. End of story.
Everybody brags about the Canadian medical system. Give me a break. They murdered her son. So my point is this. The subject of jabbed blood going forward is absolutely immense. It's it's too important. This is one of those this is one of those things unfortunately that is slipping through the radar here. And enough people with larger microphones than myself are not talking about enough. This is going to be catastrophic for endless amounts of people who again, basic surgeries, uh, a basic procedure whatever it may be and they need blood to be replenished within their body during or after the procedure. I'm telling you, you're probably going to be received, uh, be receiving jabbed blood, and we know what that's going to do to people. This has to be spoken about more. This is uh, this is immensely important, and I'm not sure what else I can add right now, other than if you are in a position where you are unjabbed, and even if you are jabbed and you're receiving somebody else's jabbed blood, that's not going to be good for you. But if you're unjabbed and you are facing a potential surgery of some kind, you may want to put that off for a while. You, you, may not, you may not want to engage in that because, again, they're not testing the blood. You've even heard Kim Carter say that here on the show. They're not testing the blood. It's clotting as they're pulling it out of people. It's clotting in the bags within a matter of minutes, and, uh, and it doesn't even look like blood. So... The, the, these hospitals are murdering people to this day. It's not going to stop. They're going to keep doing it. But we, we we just can't naively walk in and assume that the right things are going to take place here. We've got to stay away from any situation where we may need blood or donated blood. Because clearly, like in her case, this poor woman's case, uh, they're not allowing you to provide your own children or your own family members with your same type of blood if you're unjabbed. You have to use hospital blood. This is, this is a big problem. Big problem. I want to read this too. This is hot off the presses also. This is from uh, zenodo.org, and it is an abstract here. The entire paper is here, actually, too, to be downloaded if, if one were interested. But it's another peer-reviewed article here regarding deaths after the vaccination, as they say. From July 6th, it is titled, A Systemic Review of Autopsy Findings in Deaths After the COVID-19 Vaccination. There are numerous articles, including Roger Hodkinson out of Canada, and Peter McCullough is associated with this, so is Paul Alexander and some other individuals that you may recognize. Here's the abstract. It says, quote, from the background, the rapid development of widespread deployment of COVID-19 vaccines combined with a high number of adverse event reports have led to concerns over possible mechanisms of injury, including systemic lipid nanoparticle, LNP, an mRNA distribution, spike protein-associated tissue damage, thrombogenicity, immunosystem dysfunction, and uh, carcin carcinogenicity. There we go. I got it. 
The aim of this uh, systematic review, rather, is to investigate possible causal links between COVID-19 vaccine administration and death using autopsies and post-mortem analysis. Under the methods section, it says, quote, we searched for all published autopsy and necropsy reports relating to COVID-19 vaccination up until May 18th of 2023. We initially identified 678 studies and, after screening for our inclusion criteria, included 44 papers and contained 325 autopsy cases and one necropsy case. Three physicians independently reviewed all deaths and determined whether COVID-19 vaccination was the direct cause or contributed significantly to death. Findings. Quote, the most implicated organ system in COVID-19 vaccination-associated death was the cardiovascular system, 53%, followed by a hematological system, the hematological system, uh, 17%, the respiratory system, 8%, and multiple organ systems, 7%. It says three or more organ systems were affected in 21 cases. This is out of the 325 autopsies. Um, It says the mean mean time from vaccination to death was 14.3 days. Most deaths occurred within a week from last vaccine administration. A total of 240 deaths, or 73.9%, were independently adjudicated as directly due to or significantly contributed to by COVID-19 vaccination. It then says interpretation. It says the consistency seen among cases in this review with known COVID-19 vaccine adverse events, their mechanisms and related excess death, Coupled with autopsy confirmation and physician-led death adjudication suggests there is a high likelihood of a causal link between COVID-19 vaccines and death in most cases. Further urgent investigation is required for the purpose of clarifying our findings, unquote. No kidding. And again, credit to these individuals. They've been on this for a long time. They've been warning people about this for a long time. Um, The sad part is, is that these individuals don't know or didn't know about the depopulation agenda that has been written about at length. If they knew about that, they would have yelled about it more probably back in 2020. Then again, maybe not if they were too busy concerned about maintaining their medical license. But either way, at least they're out there now saying a good deal of correct things. Um, And unfortunately, again, they're discouraging people from having conversations and debates and, and learning about the lie of virology, like the Peter McCulloughs of the world. But either way, that's an important uh, that's a, an important review of autopsies taking place because again, as you even heard the mother say, a lot of these autopsies are either not taking place or they are fraudulent, and that's problematic for a number of reasons, as you might expect. It's corruption, and that's again putting it mildly. Okay, I want to end with this. This is an individual that I've brought up before uh, on the show, and. They, of course, have a channel on YouTube, 
which is rather well known, and they, of course, go by Physics Girl. I've brought this person up numerous times before. A lot of it, of course, has to do with the fact that she is probably triple jabbed, certainly dying. That's beyond evident if you watch any of her videos that she still produces or that, uh, well, she's not producing them, but her husband is taking footage of her uh, sort of locked in her bed, looking as disabled as you would expect. And as they are taking these YouTube short videos and they're doing these health updates regarding her, there are endless things taking place, of course, in her bedroom that are absolutely outrageous. Number one, she's wearing an Apple iWatch. So first of all, you I mean, this will tell you how brainwashed they are. They have no idea that that in itself, of course, is electromagnetic radiation. Nobody should be wearing those watches, let alone anything that's electromagnetic radiation. But she's ill, of course. She has AIDS and she's dying from these from these shots. Multiple organ failure, clearly. Uh, she needs to lose the watch. Number two, she's wearing a mask in bed. So she is quite literally sleeping with a mask on. This is insane. Uh, she's receiving IV fluids, apparently. And I'm sure she's receiving other so-called treatment. She's wearing sunglasses. And she's receiving what's called a PICC line which is, as the video says, used to help receive IV medications and fluids without having to consistently take it in and take it out. And she has a nurse who's in there wearing a mask and whatever else, and her husband's walking around wearing two masks because he's twice as stupid. And all of this is going on again, and they have absolutely no idea what's taking place. Not a clue. Again, she's going to die, and there's no... There's no way around that. You can't keep doing these brainwashing things and expect to survive. That's not the world we live in anymore. Uh, you know, a, a person could have survived going to baseball games on a constant basis back in the day. But now, you know, if you're distracting your time with that and you're not learning about what's really going on, you're not going to make it. So here's what I want to do I put that post and that video on Gab. Later or earlier this past week, approximately a week ago, actually, and it uh, it got a bunch of upvotes, and it got it, it was moved around a lot, and it received fifty one replies. There are lots of replies here, and I want to read through a great deal of them because again, it'll tell you what people think about people like this and what's going on, and how some of them are sympathetic, but many of them are like, hey, look, you know, you dance with the devil, you're going to get your toes stepped on. And, uh, and that's clearly what's happening here. Of course, these people don't even know that they're dancing with the devil. But here's the most up-liked uh, up comment. It says the following. It says, person in my neighborhood in their 70s, but healthy. First shot, developed bad cough. Second shot was hospitalized three weeks, told they have Lyme disease, lupus, or West Nile. I mean, <laughs> my God, these hospitals and these doctors, I'll tell you, they, uh, they'll throw a dart at a board just to see if it sticks and, and see what they think you have. 
as they're behind a closed door flipping through a, a textbook as fast as humanly possible to try to give you some convoluted answer. Anyway, they continued, and they said then they were told that they have incurable leukemia. They tried chemotherapy to slow the progression. They had uh, a port installed in their chest, eventually elected not to receive chemo, and died about a year after the second shot. Another person on my street lost the ability to speak after the first shot, still can't speak, but had second shot and booster with no additional issues. You know my response to that. This is the same person, by the way. Same, same poster. But my response to that second comment is, uh, well, you know, give it time. Just give it a little more time, unfortunately. Um, and then they continued and they said, young man with, that cuts my grass. His dad knows a man whose wife dropped over dead the night she was vaccinated. And this young man has two teenage female cousins in different homes that develop seizures after being vaccinated. Safe and effective, not in my non-medical opinion, unquote. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, another individual said the stupidity is laughable at this point. Both her and her pansy husband wouldn't know what to do. If they ever started to connect the dots, they'd run their Prius off a cliff. That's probably accurate. Yeah, if they found out what they've actually done, they probably would take their own life. But uh, people already have, by the way. They've already done that because they know what they've done and they've realized what they've done. Another person said, we just don't care anymore about these COVID idiots. How many more years till they all die off? Another person said, I really like physics, girl and watch a lot of her videos, but as smart as she is, she's been badly brainwashed by academia, lacking the wherewithal to figure it out. Very sad and corrupt are taking some very good people for their lack of ability to see the obvious genocide. Um, another person said, one word, second theologians, 2, 11, and 12. Another person said, so sad, truth can't penetrate their pride. That's true. Another person said, let's call it mask suicide, they said. Uh, another person said, quote, nothing stops her curiosity, unquote, except as respects uh, WTF actually made her sick. And the award for virtue signaling until the last breath goes to this almost dead chick, they said, unquote. Another person said, Quote, it's similar to watching a junkie kill themselves, unquote. Another person said, looks like a pathetic attention whore, another person said there. Uh, another person said the following, quote, needs an Oscar for being so gullible. Gotta love the towels as curtains. At some point, rebreathing all that CO2 should give her a great headache, adding to her misery. Expect a movie after she dies if she dies, unquote. Another person said, I have no sympathy for people this ignorant. Uh, they're all the weakest of the herd, unquote. Another person said, have you seen the long COVID commercials? They've been running clown show, unquote. Another person said, the stupid, it burns, unquote. Another person said, oh my God. Another person said, I see the hospitals are still milking the insurance and government cow. Another person said, one of my coworkers just recovered from COVID said he's never been sicker in his life, had three jabs, unquote. 
yeah, he doesn't have COVID. He has AIDS. Another person said convincing people to defend something they know is made to depopulate Earth might have that beat, unquote. Another person said, may she die suddenly. You know, I mean, you can see where this is going. The next one says, it's the Darwin Awards. Goodbye, stupid people. You know, this is, uh, this is what's happening. This is, this is just happening. This is what's going on. There is sympathy. There is a lack of sympathy. There is a, a, the virtue signaling, of course, that's been taking place. The making fun of people on all sides, on all angles, people making fun of the unjabbed. You're getting the you're getting, you know, endless people killed by not being jabbed and so on and so on. And then the people who are unjabbed, who don't trust government, don't trust the medical establishment and the quote unquote science. And they know full well from the very beginning that this was a depopulation agenda. But again, there are people that are so full of themselves and so uh, self-absorbed and virtue signaling in vain and I'm, I'm the best and I'm the greatest since sliced bread, in particular within any science-related field, that it turns out that they were the ones that, that, uh, that were duped. I mean, that's the irony. The irony is that a great deal of the people in the medical profession and, uh, and the individuals within, again, all of those lines of work, whether it be a, a gal who teaches physics, allegedly, on, on YouTube, um, all the way up to a nurse and a medical doctor and an administrator of a massive hospital chain, these individuals were duped. Because, again, if you were to put a syringe in front of a person, back in 2019 and say, I can't tell you what's in this, but it will prevent you from getting sick. Go ahead and take this if you want to. And oh, by the way, if you don't, I'm going to threaten you with XYZ and so on and so forth. There would be people who would take it. They wouldn't even hesitate. They'd say, oh, it's going to make me sick because you said so, or it's going it's to keep me from being sick rather because you said so. Uh, you know, and, and they would jam it right into their body in an instant. And then there are others who would squirt it in the ground, take that syringe, jam it in the neck of the person who offered it in the first place, and say, what the hell is wrong with you? And there's a lot of those people, too. This is the divide. This is the divide. So we can have sympathy for the jab. We can have sympathy for the brainwash. But as we've all said, and as you've seen it in numerous memes, the new definition of literacy during this war and every day after it, is if you refuse to learn and wake up to the world we live in, you're not going to make it. That's the definition of literacy. It's not just a person's ability to read and write and comprehend. It is a person's ability to unlearn what they've learned, relearn it, and then not make the same mistakes going forward. Because once we wake up, there's no going back to sleep. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, I will catch you on Wednesday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.